All right, all right. Good morning, good morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's a good praise. Yeah, go ahead. Praise for the Lord. Give, give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. You know, you praise different when, you, when you've gone through some things yourself. And so, when the song says, thank you, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your power. I want to thank you. Lord, can we pray real quick? Because I think I, I need to pray. I just, I just want to start off praying. Father, we come to you. And we stand before you with mercies that are new every morning. And I just want to say that I'm grateful as we stand and we, 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 we go through things that we feel like we won't be able to come out the other side. But then we're able to look back on them years later and see what you did with us, to see what you did through us. And Lord, I just want to take time to say thank you. I love you, Lord, and just pray that you be glorified and lifted up this morning. Lord, just asking that you would help us to see the things that you've laid out before us this morning. And so, Lord, help me to be careful to speak the words that you've given to me. I pray that you speak them through me. I'm your instrument. And, and use the words, use the words from your word to revive us to a ministry that will honor and glorify you. We love you, Lord. And we ask all these things in your son's name. And all God's people said... Amen. I'm, you know what? I, it, it's never a good, good thing when you start off and you haven't even started off and you got tears running. But you know what? That's what the church does. We got to we, this. That's me. And um, so uh, just going to go ahead and uh, own up to that already. So I'm in that category with Brett and, and uh, Brian Robinson. Uh, Brian, you're not in that group, are you? No. Not, not today. Not today. You're not in that group. Well, good morning. My name is Brandon Starks. I'm the worship pastor um, here. And um, as you can see, uh, things, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit different thing this morning. Everybody's kind of, you know, people stepping in, doing different things this morning. Alan is out of town, as you've already heard. He's up in Ohio where the Certainty Conference is kicking off this morning. So I got the uh, opportunity um, to, to share a word with you. And so uh, I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. And so before I begin and get started, I need you um, to do me a favor. And um, uh, I, I need to thank a few people that are, they, these, are, these, are my, these are my people. This is my family. And, and I was not going to uh, uh, begin a message uh, without, uh, without acknowledging them. And so I want you to turn around, and they don't get very many views often, uh, but I want you to turn around and I want you to look back there at those people right there back in the back, because that's my family right there, 
right? Yeah, and give them a, a, give them a hand clap. Don't be acting shy, Joe. Don't be acting shy. And, and, and so from, from sound to presentation to lighting, uh, uh, the video guys are in the other room. And man, I'm telling you as, you, as you participate in ministry with people, you just get closer and closer with them. Uh, it makes everything so much easier. Uh, and, and so uh, 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 my wife is back there on PowerPoint filling in for my sister today. Uh, hey, sis. Uh, and so she's not feeling well, but, um, but, uh, and, and then, uh, just ministering alongside of, uh, people, man, it's good. Yeah. So, uh, 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 so I, I realize, you know, I've realized some things about myself. I realize that I'm a little bit out of the ordinary, but you know what? I'm not going to fall into that trap of thinking that's, I've decided that a little bit out of the ordinary is going to be okay for me. That's me. And so I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not like anybody really. I feel like I, I feel like I, you know, if I had to say some things about myself, which this is probably not the best time, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like the other pastors and, 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 and I've, I've, I've had to, it's taken me some time to get, get okay with that. Yeah. Cause I think we fall into that trap sometimes that we have to be like, you know, the other Christians, we got to be, if we're going to preach, I got to preach like Dave. I got to preach like Alan's going to bring the word or Ron's going to bring the word. And so you get Brandon today. This is me. Uh, I, was about, I, I was about to wear, I was about to wear something laid back. I, I, I actually love wearing suits, but I was about to wear something laid back. But I, I said I was going to give you the, the, the suit this morning and everything. Uh, so you didn't have to talk too badly about me. But listen. We're going to get into the word. Would you turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6 and meet me in verse 7? Um, And before we begin, I'm going to tell you a little secret about myself, something that I've been kind of struggling with. um, And I expect you all to meet it with the compassion that Christian and compassion and love that Christians are supposed to meet it with. So so um, give me just a second. I'm going to break this down real quick. But I got to I got to. I got to take care of this real quick because um, I'm needing some help, some additional help nowadays. And uh, this was something I used to tease my wife about, but uh, I said, you can't see that. It's right there. And now she can't, she can she couldn't see the things far away. And now I can't see the things close up. And so, so now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to meet me in uh, Galatians Uh, Chapter 6, verse 7. Let's go. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. 
Now, I want to spend some time here, but not too much time, because I have a story that I have to tell and, 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 and some things that I, a lot of things that I'm wanting to share this morning, and it, it, you're just going to have to deal with it. It's just, it's just how it is and how, how it comes to me, right? So let's break these verses down and see what God has for us today. So let me preach these words real quick. Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh, pay attention to it. We skip over these words. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, why is Paul saying this? Why is he writing this letter to these churches in Galatia? Well, if we were to go back and read Acts 13 and 14, we would find these churches were visited by Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And they preached the gospel to them, and many believed. I won't take time to read the whole passage, but look at Acts 13, 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, after they had done, gotten done preaching, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. There were some that continued. So then what's the big deal? Why, why is Paul saying, be not deceived? Well, you guessed it. Paul and Barnabas really hadn't even gotten out of the city good before problems started to creep in. Look at uh, verse 45 and recognize that it's just a few verses. It's just a few verses from, from the, the previous pa- uh, uh, verse that we read where people were accepting what they were saying. Listen, it says in verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Right. So so they had preached to him one Sunday. It was so good. They preached to the Jews one Sunday. It was so good that the Gentiles came and said, hey, can you come back and preach that same message to us next week? And, and you'll have to go back and read it because we don't have time to get into all of it. But but look in verse 50, the Jews, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable men uh, or women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So Paul is saying right here, be not deceived because in Galatians, because some of the church have been deceived. They were, they were, now they've gone away from that first missionary journey and he's writing this letter back to the Galatians because some of them were beginning to be deceived. Uh, uh, he's, he's saying God is not mocked because some of the, these same church folk thought they were going to get away with the choices that they were making and how they were choosing to, to live out their, their Christian walk. So Paul says, be not deceived. I'm going to give you a definition. So write this down. To be deceived is to roam from the safety or truth or virtue, to go astray, to err, to wander, or to be out of the way. Then he says, God is not mocked. These people had forgotten or had not learned or that God is a heart-searching God. Look at it in Job 13.9. Job 13.9 says, is it good that he should search you out 
Or as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock him? And then Romans 2, 6 says, God will render to every man according to his deeds. So Paul reminds us God is not to be mocked and he is not to be ridiculed. Then he goes on to say in verse 7 of Galatians, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that is further expounded on in verse 8. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so here at the end of verse 7 and into verse 8, we are reminded of the basic law of sowing and reaping that can be seen throughout the Bible. And so I'm calling this a lesson from the seed. And so this is the first lesson from the seed. There is a return on investments that you have sown and will sow here on earth. In the investment world, they, call, they, they have an acronym, ROI, return on investment. And so, so it, it's coming. If you put something in, if you sow into this world, you're going to get something out. If you sow into it, and so we're going to break that down in just a second. But, but I have some investments that, you know, they haven't, they haven't panned out for me, right? We put money in and invest for retirement and things, and some of those things barely break a, break a return. This is not that. This is not what we're talking about. There's a promise attached to this investment. You'll see it in verse 7. Read it with me again. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Some of you may be saying at this point, praise the Lord, and some of you might be thinking, oh, Lord. Uh, because you have to start thinking about what have I sown into this life that God has given me? Am I continuing to sow the things that, that he's given me when I started out? Uh, see, see, some of you know how, how sowing works. You put something in a, in, into the, the ground, and you're hoping you, you, you get something, uh, get more out of the ground than what you put in. Sometimes. But it depends on what you're sowing. See, in verse 7, it says, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So this is the second lesson from the seed. You get out the type of thing that you put in. And so, listen, when you break it all down, in this life, you can only sow to the flesh or the spirit. And so verse 8 says that. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So you don't put an, an apple seed in the ground and get an orange tree. Everybody knows that. You, this is taught at, even, even at, at, at the youngest of age, they know that. Right, you reap the same kind that you are that 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 you have sown, and so two things that you can sow to to in this life: uh, the flesh or the spirit. So in Job four eight, the flesh it says, "Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same." And then, uh, but but then in Hosea ten twelve, it says, "Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy." Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, 
till he come and rain righteousness on you. So Paul wrote these words at the beginning of verse 7 to remind us not to be deceived and that God is not mocked. And then at, uh, then in the end of verse 7, end of verse 8, to say, whatever we sow, we shall also reap. And he writes the verse in 9 to warn the Galatians and us not to grow weary of well-doing, to be tired of right-doing. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's so much in this world that is vying for our attentions. I mean, just take a look around. Everyone is so busy, so occupied with the things of this world that sometimes we are not recognizing what is going on in our city and in the world right around us. We are drawn away from our first love and what we are called to do. And, you know, the more I read this passage, the more I was reminded of a story. I was reminded of a story that I read to my kids when they were young. Uh, You know, I've always said I wanted to be a great father. I had a great father. I wanted to be a great father. And so uh, those things that great fathers do, I I set out to do, right? And so one of those things that um, I thought great fathers did was they read to their kids. And so I read to my kids every night as as much as I could. And, And one of the stories that I read, even when I was out of town, I had the benefit of FaceTime to be able to, I I would FaceTime back home and try and read to them. And one of the stories that I read to them uh, when they were younger uh, was was the story of Christian in the book of Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I'm going to tell you, what you're about to see, this is a a spoiler alert. And you're you're sitting here, so now you're going to get it. So so the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, is a great book, um, and you should read it with, with with your kids or with your family or by yourself. And there's a bunch of different versions of it. But uh, you're, you're going to hear some things out of the, uh, the book of Pilgrim's Progress this morning. So listen, uh, the great thing about a Pilgrim's Progress is it's, it's actually your story. It's, it's a Christian's progress. And, 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 you, and, and it'll give you so many good truths. The, the, the interesting thing about this, John Bunyan originally wrote this book in 1675 from his jail cell, where he was in jail for being in prison the second time for sharing his faith, right? Uh, So the story tells of a man named Christian who lived in the city of destruction, a place where no one seemed concerned about what was happening in and around the city. And in fact, when Christian looked in the distance beyond the mountains, they seemed to be on fire. And if you look at the uh, beyond the mountains, it's a, it's, there's an orange glow. But this feeling that Christian had was one that no one else seemed concerned with. So the burden grew heavier and heavier with every passing day. He couldn't even get rid of this burden when he went to sleep. So, I mean, the book that he was reading told him that the city that he was living in would be destroyed and that he and his family were going to die. The book that he was reading represented the word of God. His wife grew tired of always having to hear about his burden and soon told him never to speak of it or never to speak to their children of it again. And at, at some point, even his dog stopped stop fooling with him. So, so he spent long hours by himself reading this book, thinking about destructing destruction, the city of destruction, and weeping for the fate that seemed to hover over his family. One day on his walk, 
he journeyed further than normal and bumped into one named Evangelist who was willing to point out a way that he could be saved. And so Christian sets out on a path that Evangelist tells him about, a path he would find out led to the celestial city. But one of the things that made his journey so difficult was this burden that Christian carried that you see on his back. Uh, and, and, and the burden, the, the backpack that he carried would grow bigger and bigger every day because it represented his knowledge of his own sin. Christian was so sure that his burden would sink him right into hell, but he set out on his journey anyway with the, with the heavy backpack growing day after day. He visited places like the Hill of Difficulty and the Valley of Humiliation and met people like obstinate and ignorance and atheists and giant despair. But he also met people like knowledge and goodwill and hopeful and faithful. And the people and places that he met and visited mirror the good and the bad that we encounter during this walk in our life. But what we see in this story is that there are many people, places, and things to help us along the way and plenty others that try and hinder us from becoming the person we're supposed to be. Now, we don't have time to discuss everyone and every place that Christian visited, so I'm going to hit a few places um, um, and, and then uh, uh, that, that mark some of the most difficult parts on his road, and then we'll keep moving. Uh, one of the first places of importance that he visited was Mount Calvary. And this is the place that Christian's burden was released and he found salvation. Christian had to climb to the top of this hill and it was no easy climb. There were rocks and it was dusty and, and it was no easy climb to get to the top. But when he got to the cross, his burden loosed. The straps on his burden loosed and it fell off his shoulders, rolled back down the hill he had just climbed and into a tomb. But I need you to recognize that this was the very beginning of the, part, uh, of the first part of his journey, and he had many more attacks along the way. If you'll put up that map. So this represents the pathway that he may have traveled and, and, and that we may travel, you know, going through uh, the, the Valley of Humiliation and all of these different places. But if you look on the first column about halfway up, that's Mount Calvary. But he had to go up that way and then come back down and up and then back down to get to his final destination. And I just want to point out here that that was the very beginning. That was the very beginning of the first part of his journey. And so here's a point for study. And this is some truth from uh, Pilgrim's Journey. So this is that's what I'm calling it. Uh, and this is the point. Salvation does not uh, stop Satan's attacks, but rather begins a new strategy of attack for the Christian. Uh, and we've learned this in, in, in discipleship. First, Satan is trying to keep you from God, but once you get saved, he refocuses that attack to keep you from accomplishing anything for God. Satan knows that he can't take your salvation, so the next best thing is to just keep you on the sidelines and keep you from doing anything for Christ. And so uh, uh, 
he, he, he traveled through many places, but one of the most dangerous places on Christian's journey was that he traveled through was the city of Vanity Fair. And in this town, they had all the nicest, shiniest, and expensive things that one could want for him. But all those things were meant to take their focus off of the path God wanted them to be on. And I can see the city now, uh, what it would look like for us. I see, uh, I see cars and trucks and boats and houses and, and even uh, 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 youth sports and professional sports. But all of those things are meant to, they're not bad things as we'll see in a moment, but in this book, when he went through Vanity Fair and saw all of these things, he was, it was meant to draw him away. And I wonder if, if we've bought into some things that have separated or distracted, our, our, distracted our, us from our path or our first love, from what we're supposed to be achieving for Christ. I heard Sam Miles say it like this. He said, the enemy works best to keep you busy with good things in order to keep you from what is best. There are things that seem harmless and even good, but if you don't fight for them not to become the center of your attention, they will begin to overrun and ruin your life. You are to live for God. Not to say any of those things are bad, but if they take your focus off of what you're supposed to be doing for Christ then we need to either refocus or get rid of them. Christian had picked up a traveling companion on on his journey whose name was Faithful, but after traveling through Vanity Fair, Christian was separated from Faithful, and I won't give you all the details. I really think you should go back and you should go and read it. But think about that for a moment. Christian was separated from Faithful because of his travels through Vanity Fair, the city. And this is my next point. If the Christian is not careful while traveling through this life, your faithfulness will be traded in for worthless trinkets. Read a passage from the, uh, uh, from the book. Um, this is what Christian found out. He said that as he started to look closer at those bright and shiny things that those people in Vanity Fair were trying to sell him, he noticed that the gold on the jewelry, jewelry was really cheap paint. The precious stones only colored glass. The fruit was rotten. The china was only clay. And the jugglers and clowns were really pickpockets. Listen, this world will try and sell everything it can to keep you from the mission God has called you to. That's why in Matthew 6, 19 we're, uh, through 21, we're reminded, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and still. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah. Sometimes we forget the simple truths of the Bible. Where your treasure is, let your heart be also. There will your heart be also. So, so I, let me give you a definition real quick. And this is a, a Webster Dictionary defi- defines treasure as wealth of any kind or in any form that is stored up or hoarded. What are we storing up and hoarding? Are they the things of God? So we, we will be tempted to give up the things of God and so to our flesh in this life, but we have to be careful not to. Now, there are some places that Christian couldn't help but travel through because the path took him straight through that location. And if you look again 
Vanity Fair is in the middle of the center column. And the path, the straight path, goes right through Vanity Fair. But there were some places that where, where on, on, on Christian's journey that he just got off the path. He just left the path. And, and so, so uh, the, the path that was left for him that he was told to travel, he just left it. And so this is my next point. Some of our most difficult times in life come from simply wandering off the path Christ has left for us to stay on. See, we'll, we'll start looking at, at something else or somewhere else and say, the grass is a lot greener over there. Or in Christian's case, he said, he, he seemed to think that over there was an easier path. So he saw the, 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 the path he was supposed to be on starting to get a little bit difficult. And there was a fence in between him and there was a path over here. And it looked like it curved back onto the other path. So he convinced himself, hey, we'll cross this fence and we'll get on this path. It's easier to travel and it'll meet back up. But it doesn't take him long to realize that he's made the biggest mistake and this isn't going to end well. And that's the same for us. If you can't find your way out quickly, despair will cast you into a prison of doubt. And that is where Christian and the person he was traveling with at the time, hopeful, found themselves. They wound up wandering off the path. They were told to stay on and onto the property of giant despair. Um, and, And the beautiful land that he had crossed the fence to get into... And, and that he had traveled for some time, soon turned into soggy ground and then became flooded. Now, the giant despair caught them on his, on his ground and, and, and he told them they would pay the price. So he took him to his castle and he took him down into the depths of Doubting Castle. And you see the giant there and you see uh, the, the castle on the right. And the castle is, is, is very dark, but it's a giant and... and uh, the castle goes all the way to the bottom of that screen. And so he took him down. They took, they, he took both of these people down into the bottom of Doubting Castle and threw them into a dungeon, locked them in. No light shone through. Every morning the giant would come in and beat them, and every night they'd go to sleep without having eaten. And just as sure as I'm standing here, I know that some of you are listening to me and saying the same thing that they were thinking. I might as well quit. Throw in the towel, go on and give up because my situation's not going to get any better. But the thing is, when God is in it, it's not over. That's one of my favorite songs. The favorite song says, it's not over, it's not finished. It's not ending, it's only the beginning because when God is in it, all things are new. After a certain amount of days, uh, weeks, months, they don't even know because they they couldn't tell day from night. They found just enough light to open the scrolls that they they had had with them all along. And inside the scrolls, they found a key that would open the dungeon that they had been in all along. Here's what they found. They found a promise. Christian and Hopeful were tired tired of getting beat, not to mention they had no food, and I'm running out of time, so i got to get back to the passage. So go back to Galatians, and I'll give you a couple of final points. Catch me back in 
the main text, Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Listen, my brother, my sister. Christian and hopeful have the, have the same problem that some of us have. You grow tired, maybe even weary in well-doing. But listen, when you're tired or when you're weary, go take a nap. Go get some rest. But, but listen, don't quit. When, when, when our kids are tired, we tell them, if we tell them to go ahead and quit, give up. Go ahead, quit. Give up. It's not going to get any better for you. You are a horrible parent. You're a, you're a bad parent if you tell your kids that. But this is what we should be doing. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. But you know, the interesting things about those two verses where we should be going to our father to get rest. The two inter- uh, the, the interesting thing about it is, is, is it's not the same rest. In verse 1128, it's the 373 rest, which means to be refreshed. But then the, the rest in Matthew 1129 is the 372 definition of rest, which is defined as inter, an intermission. And an intermission is a pause or a break. And so I just need to let somebody know our God is so good. He has the power to press pause in the middle of your situation, not just refresh you. Next point for study, go get rest from your father, but do not throw in the towel. We want to get rest from everything and everybody else, but don't want to go to, to, to our God, to trust our God or be patient with God. So sow in a, a seed of trust, sow in a seed of hope, sow in a seed of faith. That is the substance of things hoped for. That's all God needs to get us to the part where we reap. But there's one more thing that we we must understand before we can get to the reaping. So read it with me again in verse nine. Be not and let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap. And this is the third lesson. The seed that is planted. Does not bear fruit immediately. The harvest is not immediately. What fruit do you know that it's that that you put a seed in the ground and you get to harvest immediately? So knowing that 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 you don't get to reap immediately, what we should be doing is each and every day we should be sowing a seed to the spirit and and be careful not to sow a, a seed to the flesh. But we shall reap. That's a promise. Remember the basic principles of sowing and reaping. If you sow, you will reap. So be careful what you sow because you cannot change the type of harvest that you that you get once you've sown the seed. Money sown to the flesh brings a harvest of corruption. Money and time sown to the spirit, such as sharing with those who teach the word of God, will produce a life and a harvest that reaches into eternity. And this is the last lesson from the seed. The reaping is proportional. You don't put in a seed in the ground and get one apple when it takes when, when you get that tree. You you get you don't get one banana, one one orange. 
you get a tree, right? And if you plant more seeds, you get more trees that you'll be able to harvest from. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Sowing generously equals bountiful harvest. If not in this life, certainly in heaven. And that is what God can do with that step of faith, with the hope that you need to hold on to. You can't faint, you can't give up, not and also participate in the harvest. And I wonder how many of us are leaving blessings on the table. God, help us not to faint. How many of us are leaving blessings on the table because you, we walk away from the field that you've been working on for so long? So much preparation of the ground, so much sowing of seeds, and just walk away from it. All right, the final truth from Pilgrim's Journey is this. The road less traveled does not have to be, and it's not meant to be, traveled alone. First of all, we know that God travels with us if, if we're his son, his daughter, and we've set out on this journey, then God is traveling with us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of, good, of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is, doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And then Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation, or your lifestyle, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. But not only does God go with you at all times, but look at verse 10, because we should have help along the way as well. Galatians 6, verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. Let the church say do good. Do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household, household of faith. So we should have help along the way, but, you know. Just just real quick, this, this thought. Can we stop arguing about the things of this world long enough to edify someone else and to help someone else along their journey, along their path? I heard it said like this. Our family and our, our, our faith in Jesus Christ should allow us to trust each other enough to disagree. I'm not talking about the indisputable facts of the word of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the other things that we argue about on social media. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In the story of the Pilgrim's Progress, Christians sometimes had to go it alone, but oftentimes had company. And that will be the same for us. Uh, uh, there will be times when it's just you and God. And if you're not communicating with God, reading his word and, and, and praying, it'll feel like it's just you. But look around to your left. Go on, look around to your left. Look around to your right. You have an entire body that is around you that you're meant to be a part of. And do this, this thing, this Christian walk with and I, some of you might be saying, well, I don't know that person. And some of you might be saying that about the person you came with this morning. <laughs> but ministry runs on the rails of relationships. You need to get involved in ministry. 
so that you can get to know people and allow God and this church to benefit from your talents. Everybody can do something. I saw I, this morning, I saw a young kid over here pushing and mopping up, mopping up the water after, after we got done. I'm thinking if we, if we can get the kids involved, how can we not get involved? How can we come to this church and not get involved in some, some regard? Ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And you need to get involved. In fact, ministry, involvement in ministry may be exactly what you need because it has a multiplicity of benefits. Uh, and this is uh, the benefits of involvement in ministry. I'm going to read them off to you real quick. Uh, one, it takes your focus off your problems and places them on serving God and others. Two, relationships are built while working together in ministry, and it helps you see you're not going through this Christian life by yourself. Three, you grow, you grow closer to God because you need uh, for him to fulfill, you need your, because of your need for him to fulfill the ministry to which he has called you. And four, uh, when you are involved in ministry, it takes more than a casual flippant decision to get you uh, to leave the local church. So get involved. You know this is what you need. You know ministry is what you need. You know more of Jesus is what you need to change you into the person God wants you to be. So why do we hesitate? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. Um, uh, praise team, you can go ahead and start coming up. Um, a man of prayer is what his family called him at his passing. Uh, that was how his grandson remembered his grandfather, a man of prayer. But his aunt recalls, it wasn't always that way. She said, I remember the first time my father announced to the family, we're going to start giving thanks to God before we eat. His first prayer was far from eloquent, but Grandpa continued to practice the practice of prayer for the next 50 years. And when it was time for the epitaph to be written, he was labeled a man of prayer. You know, I know we think that sometimes we can't do anything for God, but, you know, just do something and, and see what is added on as time goes along. Do something consistently for God for a lifetime and see how God is glorified. I don't know who told us and why we buy into it being too late or that who told us it was too little? Who told us you weren't good enough? Who told you it was too hard? Who told you you had gone too far from God, that you had done too much? Don't you believe it? We, we lose our childlike faith. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think back on the, 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 bull, the, the, the child that had some fish and some, fish and some loaves of bread. And, and, and all he could do was, he, he didn't think of anything else but to offer them to, to, to Jesus. I, 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 can, I, can, I can see in my mind, and this is how my mind works, I can see him looking out, around at the other people thinking, y'all, y'all didn't bring no food? Y'all knew y'all was coming to hear Jesus. Y'all know he's going to talk for a long time and he's going to heal some people. Right. I'm seeing this. Per- I'm seeing this little, little, little child and, and, and saying, OK, well, I got something here. Give it. But but you know what? We have to push past the idea that what we have to offer is not enough. Push back against that idea that it's too little. 
that you don't have enough, that you can't do anything in ministry for God. Listen, and I'll, I'll say this and I'll close. There's this movie that I found myself watching one afternoon. The movie was called uh, Greater, and it's a good movie. Um, the movie was a true story about a boy who dreamed of playing Division I football. And uh, his brother, you know, brothers, they're they not going to give you uh, the easy, easy path. His brother told him, look, this is his older brother, told him, uh, listen, the good Lord didn't make you the right size to be a Division I football player. He said, Brandon, that was his name, uh, Brandon Burlesworth. He said, you were given a D1 body, a, a D1 dream with a D3 body. And that's a brother for you. But listen to me. There was someone else in his life that said this. You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. And sow a character and you reap a destiny. But it all starts with that thought. And that's my encouragement for someone here today. Don't give up hope. Don't you faint. Don't give up having Uh, having faith in your heavenly father. I don't know what we're waiting on to get involved, but get involved. Let's close in prayer. Stand with me. Where are you at in this journey? Have you been drawn aside? Have you stopped in in the city of Vanity Fair to partake in all the world's goodness, which is not a bad thing if we keep doing the things that we're supposed to do for Christ? Come forward now. Make a decision to to get saved. Come forward now. Make a decision to get involved. Make a decision to, to join the church. Sometimes we sit when God is waiting on us to make a decision. Father, we come to you and we just ask you that you would be with us as we travel through this life. We sometimes get off the path. And Lord, we just need to, and so Lord, I just pray that you would keep us focused on you. Lord, for those people that may not even have a relationship with you right now, I pray that you would allow them to confess their sins right now. All you have to do is is say, Father, forgive me for my sins. Save me from my sins. Be Lord of my life. It's that simple when you're saved. Lord, help those people on all the different parts of the journey that people may be on. Lord, meet them where they are and help them until we get to that celestial city with you. We love you, Lord. For us in Christ's name we pray and thank thee. Amen.